Uh, the readings this morning are Isaiah 42, 1 to 7, and Isaiah 49, 5 to 6. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says. Sorry, this is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Today is indeed the first Sunday in Advent, uh, and we've lit our uh, first Advent candle. The first Advent candle uh, signifies the prophets, uh, or at least some would say it signifies the prophets, and that's a sign of hope, which is perfect for our passage this morning in Isaiah. Uh, And we've got, uh, to this morning, this is the third in a short series of three about God unfolding his plan. And if you remember last week, we were looking at the coming uh, of the king. And today, we're looking at the servant songs. There are four songs. We've just dipped into two of them. So it's chapters 42, 49, 50, and 53 of Isaiah. So they're the four uh, songs. And you may like to turn... Uh, In fact, I'd encourage you, perhaps, to turn to page 727 in your uh, Pew Bible, just so that we can go through it together, because this is the coming of the King, the Messiah. This is what Barbara's been waiting for. And to get a flavour for what's happening, I just want you to imagine what it would feel like. There's a big army Uh, rising in Europe and they are crossing the channel and they are going to sack our land and take us prisoner but they will take us back to Europe sounding familiar already (laughs) 
And we will be there for many, many years. And we will not see our green and pleasant land. We will not have the harvest festivals. We will not have the Christmas celebrations. Because we will be prisoners and slaves in Europe. But amongst our midst, there is one man who stands up and says, don't worry, in many, many years' time, we will be released from this period of exile and we will be led home. And then there will be a new way of living. And that man's name is Isaiah. Odd in 21st century, I know, but his name is Isaiah. And what would we want from that man? That man who is going to release us. We'd want a a strong leader. We'd want to leave Europe with a bit of a swagger. We'd want to be under our own control. We'd want to uh, be masters of our own destiny. Have our relationship with God or back again. He's ours. Sounding more and more familiar. We want our credibility, our respect back. We want protection. And the, verse, the first 35 chapters of Isaiah tell us about our sinfulness and our lostness. The fact that we are hopeless people. And then you have a few link verses until chapter 40 comes in. Uh, and chapter 40 refers to John the Baptist it uh, repeats that great phrase, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. So, we've gone from uh, our uh, lostness, our hopelessness, to this point in verse 40, uh, in chapter 40, where there is suddenly a sign of hope and a pointing of the way, prepare the way for the Lord. And then we have two episodes, one in chapter 41 and one in 42. We're just looking at 42. But in chapter 41, uh, it's the release of the people of Israel from exile. If you remember, uh, actually in biblical terms, there are two occasions when the people of Israel get taken away. One, they go down to uh, Egypt, don't they? And that's the Exodus, when they come back to Israel. The second one is when the Babylonians capture them and take them off, just like Europe would take us off. Uh, And that's the exile. And this man called Cyrus rises up uh, and defeats the Babylonians and takes, releases Israel and allows them to go home. And bizarrely, of course, Cyrus is not a Jew. He's not part of the Israelite nation. So this is completely unexpected and unacceptable. But then you get to verse 40, uh, chapter 42. And the servant king. Expectation, you see, is a funny thing, isn't it? You've heard that voice on the phone, that colleague at work from another office. Uh, and uh, it's a very calm voice. It's quite a deep voice. It's always very warm. And you imagine this middle-aged lady... And then she turns up and she's 25 with a leather jacket and piercing through the nose. And you think, wow, that's not what I expected. Expectation is a funny thing. And expectation here is a funny thing. 
The nation of Israel had had kings before, but not a king like this. They wanted their clear leader, someone at the front, someone giving that hope and direction. And instead, instead they get the servant songs. Bizarre. So, firstly, what is the purpose? We're going to do this passage slightly back to front, actually. We're going to start at six and work upwards. Verses six, uh, probably all the way through to nine, actually. The servant is commissioned by God. God is narrating this passage. And if you are commissioned, you are chosen. Here is my servant. Uh, Actually, that's verse 1, of course. Whom I hold, my chosen one. But verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will keep you. I will make you. This servant is called and chosen. They're separated out. They're specifically empowered, specifically tasked. And in some translations it says the servant is to be a covenant mediator. That's a brilliant phrase, I think. A covenant is about relationship between two different parties coming together in an agreement with each other. And a mediator... We all know what a mediator is. Think Brexit. I told you Europe would come in somewhere. That's a mediator trying to do a deal between these two parties. But this is a deal to beat all deals. All others. Because this is a deal for humankind. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and delight for the Gentiles. Verse 6. It goes on actually in verse 8. I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise idols uh, and new things I declare. Actually, again, in another translation it says, you will see the glory of God and through no other means. So this is the only way to see the glory of God. This new relationship, they've come out of exile and here they are being offered a new relationship. And this new relationship is totally different from anything that they've seen before. There is a piercing light for the nations. Verse 6. And a light for the Gentiles. That is unbelievable. They will open the eyes of the blind. The servant will free captives from prison. And by that it's not the physical prison necessarily. It's those who do not understand the calling of God. They're prisoners in their own world, in their own uh, belief, in their own understanding. And they can be freed To release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Do we not all sit in darkness? Walk up and down the high street in Guildford. You'll see darkness everywhere. The lights are on, but the people are walking in darkness. His light is revealed. To the Jewish nation, they had spent uh, several hundred years in exile, away from their God, and here they were, back in their own land, 
back with their God. That very personal relationship, exclusive relationship. And God is saying, no, no, it's not exclusive to you. This is for all people everywhere. This is in, I mean, completely radical, completely different, mind-blowing stuff. How is it possible for an outsider to have a relationship with their God? How was it possible for God to speak in terms of light to those who had not had that relationship in the past because they were in the dark? How could the punishment of those who had committed sin be commuted? This was a radical mandate of uniting all mankind under a common policy. It's a single aim, a single root, a single relationship with the one true God being made available to everyone. That's the purpose of the servant. It was completely radical. So how is it going to work? Well, the obvious answer, if you were an Israelite at the time and you'd lived through the the history of, uh, of what we would call the Old Testament is that you'd form an army and you'd bludgeon people to death. Simple. Or simplest, depending how you want to say it. But that's not what the servant does, is it? Just a little bit of background at this point, because we're now in verses 2 and 4, or 2 to 4. Uh, where it talks about a bruised reed, a reed had... I mean, it had various purposes, but two principal ones where you could drink through it, like a straw, and you could put it on your roof uh, because it cast water away. But as soon as you flatten a straw, it splits. And then it can do neither of those two things. So what do you do with it? You throw it away. A smouldering wick was a light, obviously a wick in a, a candle, a bit like this one, which had gone out or was just glowing and on the verge of going out. So what did you do with it? You threw it away. So let's look at verses 2 to 4. Because the servant here is not coming as this massive leader, as a rebel rouser, as a leader of an army. Verse 2, he comes quietly, with humility, Verse 3, he will care for the weak. The bruised reed, he's not going to break. He's not going to throw it away. He's going to keep it and use it. The smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. He's going to fan it back into flame. He will ensure that all people have a purpose. Verse 4, he's not going to be sidetracked either. He's not going to be browbeaten. He's got that inner strength, that inner purpose. He's got a mission and he means to fulfil it. So who is the servant? Now opinions do vary on this particular point. Kia is already smiling, she's done this. (laughs) If you were looking at verses 38 through to 41, you'd probably be saying this is the Israelite nation because that's what all those chapters have been talking about, the Israelite nation as a whole. Or is it a single person? Because the language seems to imply that it is a single person. 
the nation is being asked to be calm, to be humble, to be caring, to be compassionate, to be considerate, to be useful. And if you'd have read the previous five chapters, they are none of those things. So is this the call of a particular person for a particular reason? Uh, My mind, if you really want to know my personal mind, it is made up when I look at Matthew 12, uh, what is it, verses 17 to 21. It is a direct quote of this passage from Isaiah. And it's a quote because uh, Matthew is talking about the Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then he gives this quote. So for me, I would say it's the person of the Messiah. It seems relatively clear as you go forward that the suffering is one person for many. Not one nation. It's difficult for the whole nation to suffer on behalf of themselves. The suffering servant suffers for others. And yet at the same time, It is indeed a calling to all people. It is indeed a calling of that whole nation to a new relationship. So actually, I don't mind whichever route you want to take. But for me, the person reflects the needs and demands being placed on him by God. This is a new mission. A mission to reach out to the whole world in love. The real mission with which the uh, the servant is tasked is to reignite the people's passion for a relationship with God. His mission then becomes their mission. And so for us, we stand at the start of Advent here on the 2nd of December. And so this passage should be both a comfort and a challenge for us. We are loved and we're called by God. He's opened up that relationship for us as Gentile people through that humble servant, someone who gives, someone who cares, someone who provides and supports and all in all loves us. And if that's the mission of God, then it becomes the mission of the people. It's not a mission of grandeur. Because we're being asked to care for our world. We're called to be calm. We're called to make a difference. To bring out our potential and the potential of others. We're called, in a word, to serve. That's two words actually, isn't it? But I'll just wait, serve. We're called to serve. And in Advent, we are right at the start of a rescue mission. Right at the start. It's a grand plan. It's a really exciting plan. It's an unexpected plan. But it's a time to reflect on the love of God. His purpose for the world, for our community in Wanish, but also for every one of us. What is God calling us to be? So this Advent, let's commit some time. 
to spending a period of every day waiting on God, seeking his will for our life and his purpose in his coming. Barbara waited years to see the face of God. And now she has. What are we waiting for? And in the waiting, there is the doing. As we wait on God, we serve God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. That is the call of God to each one of us as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. God says to each one of us, you are my servant whom I have chosen and in whom I place my love. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we do thank you that you come. You come in glory, you come in power, you come in majesty and might. Yet you come as a servant. You come as a baby. You come defenceless and innocent. And you call us to be part of your team, part of your kingdom, to fulfill our purpose while we are here. That when we come to your throne, you may, you are my, you, you may say that you are my true and trusted servant, just as you were the true and trusted servant of your Father. So Lord, touch our hearts. And when we go, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and your glory now and always. Amen.